you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Explained is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. All right, you know, on this podcast, we try to teach people about the NFL. Mike Am, Michael Robinson with you. There's something else that I've been learning working with you, Amrasa, that you are, and I've said this on other podcasts, one of the more positive people that I know. But if you ever throw shade at someone, it's because of the attire that they potentially are, or I shouldn't say potentially, Kyler Murray. Yes. you. It, we did a segment on TA the other day. You threw some shade his way, and I was surprised. Well, again, you call it shade, Yams, but it's more of my expectations for that player are so high, and I don't see him reaching those expectations. So I'm a little disappointed, right? I'm yeah. a little disappointed. So it comes from a place of positivity. Let's okay. say it that way. <laughs> you still figure out a way to bring, it, go. bring it full circle. Uh, today, we're going to have some fun. We're going to actually talk about one of the more explosive positions on the football Ooh. field. That is the wide receiver spot. But I want to take you back November 23rd, 2014. Mm. Let that one sink in for just a second. Did you have any idea like why that is a significant date from a wide receiver's perspective? From a wide res- okay. Now that you say it that way, I'm assuming there was some type of catch on, on that day. Here's the running back. Play action. And Manning's going to heave one. There's, oh, there's a flag. Beckham, a one-handed catch. How in the world? Oh, my goodness. You have to be kidding me. That is impossible. That is absolutely impossible what he just did. That may be the greatest catch I've ever seen in my life. It's in the conversation. Wow. OBJ handling business. Collinsworth said it. Maybe the greatest catch he ever saw. I feel like we're getting a lot of these more frequently. Mm-hmm. But when you saw it, what was your take? I was like, oh, my goodness. That can't be for real. And then I was like, well, he had to be out of bounds. And to me, what made that OBJ catch so amazing is he scored. He scored a touchdown. So he actually put the ball 
across the goal line as well. Not only just the catch, but got some points for a team. That's what made it amazing to me. All right, so we played the audio for you. If, you, if you're a little <laughs> on the younger side of our demo who checks out this show, I encourage you, you can go and YouTube it like all the kids do. The catch, as M-Rob just made reference to. Eli Manning, the quarterback, hits the 43-yard reception with one hand, fingertips, the whole thing. You know, there's a part of me that says, all right, dudes are skilled, and I get that. Yes. Uh, I God, this is probably the second or third time I've made reference to him on this podcast, but Curtis Conway, good buddy of mine, Seaway mm-hmm. would always say this to me, yo man, those receiver gloves, a little different than what I used to play. <laughs> they're really sticky. And man. I actually have a bunch of them. I think they're just more sticky than <laughs> the ones from back in the day. They are sticky. They are a little bit more sticky than the old Newman gloves that I used to wear when I was growing up. But look, these guys... It, they're not making these catches because of the gloves. Okay, the gloves help. Yes, they're the helping. Gloves help a I could be bit. like Spider Man. All right, True. scaling walls with the way some of these gloves True. are. But Mike, you're outside catching with those gloves. There's not other defensive backs trying to tackle sure. you. Take your head off all of those things. The guys have to be skillful enough to still catch the football. And I think the reason why we're seeing so many of these crazy catches, it's all revolving around the quarterback. And the more the quarterback has passing camps as he's a younger guy, the more the seven on seven camps that are happening. These quarterbacks aren't throwing to themselves. They're throwing the wide receivers that are out there. So these wide receivers are just getting more reps. And so the the opportunities for the great catches are just showing up a little bit more. Do you now look, we see great catches on Sundays and we made reference to I mean, Pickens had one, you know, a couple of weeks, oh, you know, earlier in the season. He had a great one from a Steelers perspective. Th- these things happen. I also wonder if social media plays a little bit of a factor Absolutely. in this whole you thing. You got to have something to post. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you, everything. Trying to get those double taps. Are you kidding me? Like, like I remember my, my son's birthday last year. He's about to be 13 this year. And all he wanted was a background so he can post. That's all he wanted. My times have changed. That was, was the young, deal. I wanted more. Money. I wanted <laughs> uh, you money. know uh, a, a W, you know a belt, a wrestling belt, or so, you know something. He just wanted a background so he can take selfies. That's the generation we're in. So yeah, social media does account for it because not only are these young players, young football players, and youth levels seeing their favorite player go on social media, yeah. but I mean, obviously, you want the likes, you want you want that gratification for people looking at you. Should I uh, should I be worried about the future? <laughs> no, I believe our future's in good hands, but but there's a lot of selfies out it there. It is a lot of selfies out in in downtown Richmond, Virginia. We have a selfie museum. Okay, Stop. it's a real business and it makes money. Yeah, <laughs> people come, they get a little bit different background, and they take selfies. That is the culture we are in. Yes. Yes, Mike. Yes. I always feel awkward <laughs> doing it. Oh, my God. I yes. didn't know that was a thing. That's a thing. It's a selfie museum. Shout out to the people down there in Richmond, Virginia, at the selfie museum. Yes. And Rob bringing it. Uh, as we made reference to, today is all about the evolution <laughs> of the wide receivers. We'll sprinkle in a little more selfie conversation at some point, <laughs> maybe even on a different episode. We're going to break this down from every single angle. And I know I just brought up the gloves and them being sticky. There's also a reason, not just the one-handed grabs, but there's a reason why the position has evolved to the point where you can make an argument it is the most important position on the football field outside of the quarterback. We're going to go through some of the numbers, some of the data, but I, I think we should actually start back in 1974. Ooh, in, how old was you then, Mike? I, I was, was negative. Me too. 
Yeah. I was negative about 20, 25 years later. <laughs> I was in the negative in, in 74. I, my parents weren't even married at that point. Uh, just to put some context, damn, I'm feeling old. Damn, I'm feeling old. 74, in response to what was called the bump and run coverage, defenders could no longer restrict wide receivers after three plus yards. Now, that was actually increased to five yards in 1978. And immediately you saw a spike. And it makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. In passing yards from 159 per game in 78 to 180 the following year. So it's by far the biggest spike in the Super Bowl era. Now, starting in 2002, I was very much alive. I was actually still in college at that point. (laughs) Quarterbacks were more protected with helmet-to-helmet hits becoming illegal, followed by a 2006 rule that barred hits from below the knees on quarterbacks. And I think we can all agree all of that stuff, man, yeah, for sure, Mm -hmm. is good. There's dudes who, you know, when when guys start going low, I'm like, ooh, like I cringe a little bit when I see those moments on the field. No, it doesn't. 2004, (laughs) defensive holding and illegal Contact on wide receivers became a point of emphasis. And in 2009, any hit on a player deemed a defenseless receiver was implemented, resulting in a 15-yard penalty. Also, we saw these hits take place on the college side where mm-hmm. guys get ejected. I, look, I'm all for it because I do think it's important to keep all these players safe. But in your mind, if you're a DB, like it's kind of hard to defend some of these dudes with some of these roles, right? Impossible. It is impossible. You'll see the top defensive backs, Jalen Ramsey. Um, who else? Give me another top. J.C. Jackson. Saying, yeah, who just got paid. Yeah. yeah all uh, of these guys, they Gilmore, will tell you yeah. they're the days of the shutdown cornerback are gone. There's no longer those guys walking the planet anymore because the rules don't allow it. The gameplay doesn't allow it. The ingenuity of the offenses don't allow it. Yams. We live in a Western society. We do. The Western society is all about the offensive, right? And and you can see it show up in our game. Passing plays, passing downs, and, and throwing the ball through the air is exciting, right? I think back in the early days of football when it was more of a defensive struggle and running the football and two yards in a cloud of dust and all of those things, I think the people that ran our league was thinking, how can we make this more marketable? Sure. How can we get the fans a little bit more excited about their respective teams? And I think that's why you saw the explosion in the passing game. That's why you saw the rules kind of change a little bit. But it does take a different type of guy to be a defensive back in today's NFL. Yeah, you can be, you know, I think I was with the Pete Carroll way of thinking about defensive backs, longer guys, not necessarily the fastest guys in the world, but they're so long that they have that makeup speed by their length, right? They can make up because of how long they are, i.e. Richard Sherman and, and things like that. But it does take a unique individual, especially psychologically, Yams. Think about it. All the rules... All the things that go against defenses, you can't touch them. You yeah. can't hit them when they do get the ball. You can't hit the passer. Uh, you got to let him throw the football. Let him. Do. I mean, Cam Chancellor hit uh, Vernon Davis one time, and I think it was the NFC Championship. Oh, man, it was awesome. He hit him so hard. And Vernon's my guy. I love Vernon. He hit Vernon so hard, Vernon's pants almost came off. I said, how you hit a dude so hard his pants almost came off? That That's how hard he hit him. And I remember... Cam said, man, I went to the ref and the ref just looked at me and then threw the flag. And he said, why'd you throw the flag? And the ref said, that just looked too hard. (laughs) That just looked too violent. He said he didn't tell me anything that was wrong with the hit. It just looked too violent. So that is the environment our defensive backs have to operate in. So they have to have from a psychological standpoint, they have to have a short memory and they got to be wired differently. Right. They can't. You know, when I say short memory, just because you had a catch on you two plays ago, you cannot let that affect the next play. Because more times than not, you're you're going to 
get burned. Like in those moments, you're the guy. Ten and, times out of ten, yeah. you're gonna get somebody catching the football on you. That's just the way it goes. Okay. We see Jalen Ramsey, you know, arguably the best in the game yeah. at the cornerback position. When the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were trying to come back last year, Tom Brady went after yeah. uh, Jalen Ramsey. Earlier this season, he's been criticized. So again, it's tough to play defensive back in the National Football League. A- any truth to that old adage that they're, they're wide receivers who just can't catch? That is true. Okay. If you're a wide receiver and you can catch, you stay on the offensive <laughs> side of the ball. ball. <laughs> Serious business. Like my son, I always give reference to my son. My youngest boy, uh, B5, was going down. I know he listens. He listens every week. So I know he's going to enjoy the does fact that Does he really? Said, yeah, he does. Oh, that's awesome. Like I, I hear him. He has a Sonos going and he, he listens to it. So it's all We're good. taking selfies while he's... <laughs> taking selfies while he's doing it, right? With his Jordans on and stuff. You know, that's, that, that's the young people uh, in, you know, um, in today's game. But I tell my son all the time, everybody wants to play wide receiver. The harder position to play and the position you get a lot of benefit of the doubt on is defensive back. Not a lot of guys want to go there because guys get toasted. Yeah, yeah. Not not necessarily the easiest thing, (laughs) by the way. And the position, the way guys are paid, wide receivers now are cashing in in a big way. I know we've talked about that a ton on NFL Network, especially in the offseason with a lot of those contracts. But, you know, we briefly mentioned before, M-Rob, quarterbacks. And just to add some context on the passing game. I want to go back to 1979. That was the year after the initial illegal contact rule was instituted. Dan Fouts led the league with 255 passing yards per game. That's not bad. 79? Well, that's actually the point, right? So you hear 255 and 79. How about this? In 2022, so far through week five, that would land him 18th, just ahead of Russell Wilson. And let's be real here. Russ and exactly. ain't having a great season. No, no. Go ahead, Mike. I'm a shoulder. Say it. Yeah, you could. You, you <laughs> say, I feel bad saying it. Yeah, but. yeah. Don't feel bad. Uh, one other quick note here, by the way, Andy Dalton has more career passing yards than all but nine of the 29 Hall of Fame is quarterbacks. Is that for real? Yeah. Hey, research, y'all, is that for real? Did y'all really look yeah. at Is that for real? That is no joke. So you mean to tell me Andy Dalton, a backup quarterback, already has more passing yards than 20 of the 29 Hall of Fame quarterbacks? Yeah. You want to hear some of the names? Yes, please. Dude, Troy Aikman. Okay. Steve Young. What? Jim Kelly. The like, running what? shoot? Yo. Are you kidding me? Andy Dalton's ahead of those guys? Yeah, yeah. Just oh. just context, man. Like this, <laughs> You said it, and you said it well. It all is going more towards the offense yeah. and the popularity of the sport. People want to see some points being scored. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. He came into my office, 
opened my email and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the NFL Explained Podcast. Now, the first thing to note, actually, is from 1974 to 1986, a wide receiver, this was shocking to me, led the NFL in receptions in only two seasons. What? I'm going to let that one sink in for a second. Art Monk in 84, Dwight Clark in 82. So from 1987 to 2022, a wide receiver led the NFL in receptions every season but one. (laughs) Tony Gonzalez was that guy in 2004, and that was just a ridiculous season. So let's take a closer look at the 1,000-yard receivers versus the rushers. In 2000, there were 23 1,000-yard rushers and 18,000-yard receivers. Fast forward to 2015, 26 wideouts that actually reached that mark versus just seven rushers that hit the 1,000-yard milestone. 2020, by the way, that was the same total. I almost feel like we might not go back to the old school no. NFL. I mean, hell, you want to talk about defense <laughs> and how people don't want to see it. Remember that Thursday night game a couple weeks back, Colts and Broncos yeah. 12-9. 12-9. No and by the way, everyone's, oh, bad game, bad game. I'm sitting here going, do you know how many great plays the defense made? <laughs> there was in that a lot game? of great plays. And I'm sitting here going, all right, it's different. But defense is still a part of the game. I say that in the wide receiver episode. Probably should table <laughs> oh, that. Good. I was talking about defensive back <laughs> just a few minutes ago. <laughs> Got to sprinkle all of this in. A little bit for everyone. So not only are wide receivers really prospering, they're actually doing it at a younger age. Okay. So it used to take guys a couple extra years to get acclimated to the pro game. That transition is not always easy for a lot of players. But in 2021... 12 receivers under 26 went over a thousand yards. That's the Jeez. most in NFL history, right? 2021, Jamar Chase broke the same record. Justin Jefferson broke in 2020 for the most rookie receiving yards in a season. How do you explain it? I know there's the LSU connection, but yeah. the reality is like there's other dudes <laughs> that are really putting up huge numbers. Yeah, that, that's crazy. Yams. Early on, when you talk about the, that generation of the 70s and even before that in the 60s, that, that was a running backs time. Most teams played with multiple running backs on the field. The fullback was a real position. Hell, people don't realize Franco Harris is 
yeah. position was fullback, yeah. right? But he ran the football. He caught the football. Tom Rasman in that West Coast system, that was a little bit later. He caught the football a little bit more, but it was a lot more running backs involved with the game. And I think that as the business of football, right, it starts in college, the business of football. I can argue that the business of football starts in high school yeah. um, where coaches are having less patience from their superiors to get the job done. And so coaches on the younger levels from the National Football League, they have to recruit. And when you recruit, you got to promise young people certain things that they're going to have when they come to university or your high school. And so I believe that a lot of the ingenuity of these coaches wanted to get these players on the field earlier. So they devise plans so that they can learn the game easier. For instance, some offenses try to hurry up, right? Or try to hurry up, you know, with the Chip Kelly offenses and things like that. Well, instead of having to huddle up, call a place so everybody knows what's going on, they just stayed at the line of scrimmage, put some signs up, receivers look to the sideline. They are now knew their route. It was a little bit more of an efficient way to getting the play to everybody so that you can gain an edge, so that you can gain an advantage. So the head guy can keep his job. I believe all changes came down to that. The fact that teams had to put these guys on the field a little bit earlier. Coaches had to adjust. They had to be more efficient in play calling. Hence, these guys are getting more reps. These guys are getting more opportunities to catch the football. Okay, I referenced some of the numbers from the 70s and the 80s. I will say this. Body types have also changed as well. We will get into that later here in terms of the yeah. wide receivers and and some of the things that we are seeing measurables from the combine. Well, from a technical standpoint, the wide receiver position is getting better. But if you ask a lot of former players, and I'm one of them, completely how the wide receiver fits into the offense, we believe they're becoming a little bit less relevant. And I say that by saying, I believe in 10 years, Wide receivers are going to be looked at as runners are looked at now where you say, we can find a running back at any time of the draft. Sure. Right? You have wide receivers. They're all running four twos and four threes. They're all run- they all can catch. You can find a Stephon Diggs in the second or third round. You can find a guy in the sixth or seventh round. I just believe that we're seeing the golden years of wide receivers now, and at some point they're going to be looked at like running backs, like you can get one at any time of the draft. Because the running backs used to be the golden That's position back in the yes. day, and now it has shifted. Well, we're going to actually come up here and talk about some of those numbers, but if that's the case, then what becomes the value position? Is it defensive back? Is it, you know, one of those D tackles, someone who, or an edge guy that can get after the quarterback and be disruptive? Does it go that direction? I believe in a football team, your offensive line, right, is the engine of your team. Your secondary is the battery. Sure. Like if you're using a car reference, you can't really win having a having real deficiencies in, in both areas. So I believe the next wave of like star athletes or whatever will revolve around the line of scrimmage, your big-time tackles, your big-time pass rushers, the big athletic guys. We saw Trayvon Walker go sure. number one overall this year. And your defensive backs, guys who we just talked about the diversity in receivers. We just talked about how it used to be a golden age of running backs. Now you're going to have to have a defensive back who has the quickness and the speed to stay with guys like Tyreek Hill and the shiftiness to stay with uh, Jamar Chase and guys like that. But you also have to have the pads and the aggressiveness to tackle running backs because you're going to be in the on the field all the time. I just think the defensive players are in it. We're, we're literally seeing them change before our eyes. Okay, so I think coming up here, and it's important to note here, wide receiver sets and how they're being used also impacts 
the significance of this position mm-hmm. uh, a year ago. It, it kind of actually explains some of the draft stuff that we're seeing. Um, I shouldn't say a year ago, because in 2006, teams lined up with three wideouts just 14.2% of the time. In 2021, that's up almost 10%, actually mm. exactly 10%, 24.2. So there is definitely a higher priority right now in terms of finding some of these guys in the NFL draft. They Are they bigger though? Are they stronger? Are they faster? Tell you what, like, yeah, the answer shortly <laughs> yes. Is, is yes. I'll take you through some of those numbers. And I'll also tell you this. Do you need a big time wide receiver in order to win a Super Bowl? Mm-hmm. Well, the answer actually may surprise you. That's still to come on the NFL Explained podcast. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the NFL Explained podcast. You drop general manager. Those are the dudes who kind of handle business and and Mm -hmm. putting together these teams. They have been going crazy looking for wide receivers. How about this? Last year, six wideouts went in the top 18 Mm. picks. And the last three drafts have seen at least five taken in the first round. And there are some dudes that we have seen really perform very well 
in their rookie season, sophomore campaigns, like they're making a big impact. It was the first time in the Super Bowl era that there have been at least five wide receivers taken in three straight seasons in the first round. They're ballers. Now, between 2010 and 2020, the average number of first round receivers was just 3.7. So you'd think that the boom would actually be you know, more physical mm-hmm. traits for some of these wide receivers that had improved. Let's take you through some of the combine numbers since 2003. We'll start with the 40. Nothing better than watching these yeah. dudes run the Ford. By the way, Tariq Woolen, the rookie corner. From Seattle. I yep. would love to see him in a foot race with Tyreek Hill. Oh, my goodness. Did you see? I mean, don't get me wrong. Taysom Hill ended up scoring. But he tracked Taysom Hill down in five steps. He was there. <laughs> Taysom Hill had a five-yard lead. I'm like, <laughs> what? I'm like, that's why we focus on the 40 in the combine. Yes, it is, man. That kid is fast. It was awesome. <laughs> All right, so getting back to the numbers here. What's sort of fascinating is from 2003 to 2005, that average was 4.55 seconds. Fast forward, you're actually talking to present day about a decrease of five hundredths of a second, which is sort of kind of like one of those, yeah, stat, but, but not really. When you talk about professional athletes and I mean, the highest of the height, that sure. there's a National Football League NFL players, okay? That's just the the advantage that you could possibly need to get you and your team over the hump. So, yeah, that's big. That's big, Mike. Height has actually increased exactly one inch from 72.1 inches to just over six feet to 73.1 inches, which is 6.1. Weights have basically remained stable at 202.7 pounds. Vertical leap also stayed mostly the same at 35.5 inches. There's a lot of different ways, though, to be successful. And Rob, you play with so many dudes who just did it differently Mm -hmm. at the wide receiver spot. Is there a specific characteristic that makes a wide receiver successful in the NFL? Well, I think the number one characteristic is the wide receiver's ability to just catch the football. Sure. That is the number one. So he doesn't have to be a DB. No, exactly. So he can stay on the good guy's side of the football, <laughs> right? The offense, right? And at the end of the day, that's your number one job description. You're a wide receiver. When the ball is in the air, your job is to be able to catch the football. And for me, number two would be catch radius. To be able to protect the quarterback, meaning the quarterback can sit on his back foot and understand, yeah, I don't necessarily have to be the most accurate on this pass, but I can throw it and know that my guy is going to have enough catch radius to be able to pull the ball in, catch it with his hands, and also protect the ball from an interception. Um, The ability to separate at the top of routes. Um, A guy that we use in our airwaves, Emmanuel Sanders, I thought was was awesome at it. Steve Smith, a senior, also awesome at separating. And really, that's your ability to create space from the defender. Defenders are real handsy. They like to grab and whatever, and they have these little tricks of how they get to cheat and all those things. We can get into that on a whole other episode. But the ability of a wide receiver to make a defensive back think he's doing something opposite than what he's really doing is something that's very important. And I don't. Th- this isn't the, the biggest factor, but I'll tell you one thing. You can't teach this. And that's just speed. Yeah. That's, I mean, just going out there, the ability to pick him up, put him down, the ability to throw the ball to a Tyreek Hill in the flat, and his ability to make everybody miss run around the defense and go 80. To me, that scares defense coordinators. Okay, so you can explain this because I don't know the answer to it, but I've been told from other NFL dudes that even if you're not the fastest guy, you can make up the difference in terms of how you run a route. Absolutely. I learned how to run routes when I was training in Arizona when I played in the National Football League. That's where I lived for the entire nine years I was in in the league. And a guy I trained with was Anquan Bolden. Sure. And I remember 
Q used to always kind of lead the group when we would do wide receiver drills. And I would always wonder, like, damn, Q ain't running that fast. I used to be like, Q, how fast are you, bro? He'd be like, man, I mean, I ran a 4.6, but I can tell you now, I have never ran full speed on a football field. I said, what? You've never ran full speed? He said, yeah, bro. Like, our knees and stuff, our, our tendons aren't built to, like, slow down this body from going that fast. So why would you do that so much on your body? You want to feel good, right? Yeah, I but said, it doesn't yeah. feel good to get chased down and tackled either. That's what either. I'm telling them. I'm saying, bro, it don't, it don't feel good, like, getting chased down and tackled or um, looking slow on yeah. tape. <laughs> he said, look, man, it's all about controlled movements. He said, I run most of my routes at 50%. When I get to the top of the break, I give it 60 to separate. I might not get to full speed unless I'm in the open space. I got the football in my hand sure. and I know I'm racing to the end zone. And that that led me to think of something. I started watching how the great ones ran their routes. I played with a guy by the name of Isaac Bruce and he would always yeah. tell me like, Mike, it ain't about running fast, man. You need to make him think you're going deep by your arms pumping, not necessarily by your legs moving that fast. And so when I noticed that, man, this isn't a, just a, a full speed thing like I see on TV. I, it, you know, you think these wide receivers are running full speed, but they're not. To me, what makes a great route runner is the ability to control their speed, get in and out of breaks smoothly, and not take false steps. And I think you look at a guy like Steve Smith Sr., a guy that works with us, works with me on Thursday Night Football, he probably is one of the best in history of doing it. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to me to hear the speed thing because we do make a lot out yes, of the 40. And speed is something that you can't teach, and I'd rather have it than not have it. But for the dudes who maybe don't have it like, you know, 4-3, you you actually can still have a lot of success. I had asked the question before about, do you need a a top-end wide receiver in order to win a championship? There's some key numbers there, and I think for recent football fans, they'll be like, yeah, man, look at Cooper Cup. Like He's a dude, right? Uh, A third-round guy, by the way, Mm -hmm. who... I'm still sort of shocked if you know his story that he's been able to make it the way that he has. But we'll start with Cooper Cup. He became the first ever to win a Super Bowl after leading the league and receiving since Jerry Rice, the GOAT, back in 1994. Now, Mm. since 2013, of the 44 teams, which is about 30%, that played in the Super Bowl had a wide receiver who was in the top five in receiving yards in the NFL that season. Only four have won a ring. Mm. Marvin Harrison, Greg Jennings, who was a dude, Victor Cruz, thank you very much as a Giants fan, and of course, Cooper Cup. Super Bowl 56 between the Rams and the Bengals was the first Super Bowl where each team had a wide receiver who was top five in receiving yards in the NFL that season since Super Bowl 46. The last first-round draft pick to win a Super Bowl, Nelson Aguilar and Philip Dorsett, neither of whom was about to say like the dude of dudes. No. Um, you know, he's still playing in the league. And so, you know, it's kind of, you know, yeah. They're not them guys, league, yeah. though. Exactly. Not, not those dudes. So in 2014, check this out. Brown's general manager at the time was Ray Farmer. He actually downplayed the importance of having a superstar wide receiver. He said, I would say, how important are those guys? Name the last big time receiver to win a Super Bowl. Name that last mega guy. So keep in mind, Cooper Cup has done it. He's, yes. he's a mega dude. Farmer, by the way, two years after he made those comments, not there. And he did draft Johnny Football, Johnny Manziel. Do you tell me, man, like, does he have a point, though? I mean, because the numbers do sort of scream, you might not need Cooper Cup to go and win 
a chip. Yeah, I believe he does have a point. I believe that you throw to get in the playoffs, but you play great defense and run the ball to a championship. Now, you can argue about last year's Rams. You can argue about the Kansas City Chiefs, I think, in the 2018 or 2019 season when they won their Super Bowl because they did throw the football. But I do believe that there were times in last year's playoffs and in that Kansas City Super Bowl run where they had to run the football and be physical. And I think what makes Cooper Cup so different is, yeah, he was on the Super Bowl winning team. Yes, he he led the league and he was a triple crown runner from a receiver standpoint. Sure. But he also has the baddest player, regardless of position or side of the ball, on his team. And that's Aaron Donald. And if if you think about that Super Bowl, your lasting impressions and lasting memories of the Super Bowl when the Rams won last year is Aaron Donald making his plays, Aaron Donald making the sack. And oftentimes you don't see a uh, big time offense have a dominant defensive player sure. like you saw in Aaron Donald. So I still believe defense wins championships. I believe if it wasn't for Aaron Donald and that defense and oh, Von yeah. Miller, that second half. they wouldn't have won that championship. But Cooper Cup in particular, to me, what makes him so special is he does the dirty work, Yams. To me, Cooper Cup is he leaves blocks sometimes. He is the backside cutoff. He's cutting off defensive ends. He never comes out of the game. The guy has stamina like no other. He runs 50 yards down the field, jogs all the way back, runs 50. I mean, he sure. never comes off the field. And I think that's what and he's with a creative play caller and Sean McVay who understands how to focus on him in the passing game and put speed around him so he can get open. I think that's some of the issues with the Rams offense this year. They're missing that speed, but Cooper Cup is a little bit of a different situation than other wide receivers, but I don't think you need a big-time number one guy to win a Super Bowl. It'd just be nice to have him. It would be nice. I mean, look at when I won our Super Bowl yeah. in Seattle. I mean, people called our, our wide receivers Doug Baldwin, Jermaine Curse. People act like they didn't know who those guys were. Now, after the Super Bowl, those they guys know, became yeah. pretty good names, but uh, beforehand, they weren't. You know, it's fascinating because you, you can make the argument, and you are making it, that you might not need the top flight wide receiver. But at the same time, I think about the dollars in this free agency period that have been disseminated to guys who play that position. It's almost like the league is saying, no, 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 like I need those dudes. Yeah, I think the the league is saying, I think the younger coaches and general managers sure. who don't always have the historical approach or lens when looking at these players, again, when you look at some of the top organizations, they understand when to go get a hot out. They understand how to address the offensive line, how to address the defensive line, how to address the secondary. At the end of the day, I, I just don't think you need one of those guys to yeah. win a Super Bowl because, again, you pass to get into the playoffs, you run and play great defense to a championship. Yeah, to get over the hump. And maybe it's just get me there and That's then we'll, we'll figure it out. Ask Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. <laughs> All right. Just want to add to this conversation, just because f- we mentioned sort of youth football, high school on the college level, what we've seen in terms of 1,000 yard receivers in 2021, there were thir- well, actually surprised me. I thought the number would be higher. Mm-hmm. 1,000 yard receivers in Division One football in 2021, 39. That's in it? 2015, there was 38. So kind of a marginal jump. But if you go back to 2000, it was 20. So we have almost seen double in about a 20-year period in terms of 1,000-yard receivers. 75 catch guys, by the way, in 2000, they were seven. 2021, they were 35. I think that also speaks to the the scheme that you were discussing as well. And I think to take it a step further in youth football, you told me about a selfie museum. I know about (laughs) these one-handed grabs. Like in my mind, as we're putting it together here, it becomes almost like the sexy position in football dare I say, like right up there with the quarterback. 
Yeah. And again, I think social media has a lot to do with this. I think we just started the show with the Odell Beckham catch. Uh, you know, the media and the entire world kind of blowing that catch up has helped as well. And again, it's a very skillful catch. But I believe that especially if our, if our listeners can just go to, you know, the urban area in the in the places that they live and just go to a park and just sure. watch young kids play football, you're going to see these catches. You're going to see the the most dynamic player in the field usually is the quarterback. To me, that's where the spread system and the running quarterbacks, they, it came from. It came from youth football coaches just sitting there saying, you know what? I don't really know how to coach this particular scheme, but I do know one thing. This kid is the best kid out there. I want to find a way to put the ball in his hands over and over and over. And to me, that style of calling plays, that style of coaching has made it to the National Football League. You know that there are generalizations that we hear about position groups in the mm -hmm. NFL. Um <laughs> Divas is is it a fair label to put on wide receivers? I was I I would say that, and and diva doesn't necessarily mean negative, man. Like no. we have a negative connotation on the word diva. Uh -huh. Doesn't necessarily mean negative. It means whiny sometimes. No. I wouldn't want to be called a diva. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be no. called a diva no. either. But let's just think about it. The success of a wide receiver exclusively depends on the protection of his quarterback, the, the abilities of his. All, everything about his position depends on somebody else. Yeah. So you kind of got to be a diva, right? You kind of got to make sure that you're able to create the reality you want. You're able to, 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 to get the conditions the way that you want it so that you can go be the best version of yourself out on the football field. So, yeah, they're a little bit of a diva. Okay. That's cool. Are they the most athletic guys on the football field? No. Okay. Who I don't you? believe they're the most. I don't believe wide receivers are the most athletic guys on the, on the football field. Um, I believe, honestly, defensive linemen are. Whoa. To be that big, to be that athletic, to run that fast, you're going up against 350-pound men. Yeah. Oftentimes, they outweigh you by 20 or 30 pounds. You got to figure out a way to get around them. You can't land on the quarterback. You got to make <laughs> understand your strike zone. Yeah. I mean, so many. I mean, to me, Chris Jones, Aaron Donald, Jeffrey Simmons from the Tennessee Titans. What? These guys, some of these guys can dunk yams. I yeah. mean, come on, man. To me, that the level of athleticism is crazy. I've heard the smartest guys, though, on the football field are offensive linemen. I could go to the center. Yeah. I would say the center. Yeah, it might have been a center who told me that. Yeah, too. it might have been. A, it had to be a yeah. center that tells you. I, I would say a center is the, the smartest guy. Uh, quarterbacks obviously have to be there as well. But, man, them fullbacks are pretty smart. So I just, <laughs> just throw, just that, throw out that, that out there. Just, They're pretty just, smart. Just sprinkling a little yeah, love man, for, the, moving uh, guards. for the, for the fullbacks as well. All right, I know I made reference to it a little bit earlier. I am having a blast. I hope you have yes. uh, as well, I'm Rob, doing this show. We love getting those questions. Continue to slide into my, my DMs <laughs> at Mike underscore Yam. You can follow M-Rob at Real Mike Rob. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe if you ask him a football question, maybe he'll get back. To yes. I, have, I have no idea. Um, but once again, always appreciate you guys checking us out. Tell a friend about this episode. And of course, fire off those questions. It's the evolution of the wide receiver spot. Explain. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts 
of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how three 20-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.